0: McDavid takes the punt from Dermott, skates on out across the Otters' center ice logo, now makes his move into the gorge, the goal, out in front, scores! Oh, McDavid
1: dazzles!
2: I don't know what I was doing Sunday, but I didn't watch a lot of the Oscars. And when you came in, we were kind of talking about what we might use as an open. And I asked if you had watched the Oscars. and No, very little. What I noticed is that we had both sort of s- caught the same part. And that was uh, Lady Gaga uh, singing majestically. Yeah. A uh, beautiful song which was, I, I thought, a very a very nice moment, which whenever I hear it mentioned or referenced will always make me giggle because some poor, dumb lady, uh, while broadcasting the news in a small town, I believe in Ohio, uh, turned to her co-worker, a black man, and said, you know, it's really nice to hear Lady Gaga singing without all of that jigaboo that's in her music and i'm paraphrasing
0: yeah did she have to not know what that
2: meant there's no chance she
0: knew yeah cuz you wouldn't it's like calling uh uh it's saying someone is oriental like that's not pc like oriental is a way to describe like like the Oriental rugs and stuff like that. You wouldn't call a person Oriental like that. Must be what happened, right? She must associate it with hip hop music and not necessarily uh, a negative term for black people.
2: She's a really pretty girl. I think. <laughs> I think she was like a Miss something, maybe Missouri.
0: Okay, and she wheeled that into a and, news gig, news reader, right? And she
2: by no means had any malice in her in her heart i don't think
0: now you've talked about this before uh did she get fired she received a
2: three-day suspension okay which i think is ridiculous her name is christy capel uh she will not be anchoring fox 8 news in the morning for the remainder of the week uh they did go on to defend her reputation by saying that the incident has prompted thousands of social media comments and emails from across the viewing area and the nation. Unlike many who have commented, co-anchor Wayne Dawson and many of us at Fox 8 have had the advantage of knowing Christy personally and her work in our community. It is for that reason that we will join with the pastors she met with on Tuesday to begin the process of forgiveness and healing. She has to, like, go meet with, I guess, the African-American clergy in the area. And, like, they reduced her to a groveling human being because she said a word. She just didn't know what it meant.
0: Why? Why? I'm sure an apology on the news would have been sufficient. Um, This kind of – and we'll get to this later. This kind of makes me think of the Adrian Peterson situation. Now – We'll get into that and how that's different, but there's a certain amount of just uh, ignorance there as far as, like, what that means and what what she was doing. And I'm glad they didn't snap fire her, though. Uh, I don't think – I think intent should matter.
2: Absolutely it should. Uh, intent is almost everything, I think. But keep your head up, Christy. <laughs> uh, and uh, don't use "jigaboo" anymore.
0: No, absolutely not. And uh,
2: it's on the eight dirty words list, I suppose. Now,
0: what is the what is the saying for people like in the professional realm? If there's a microphone in front of you, it's on. Sort of like, sort of like if you're holding a gun, it's loaded. Type, yeah, just assume it's loaded. Uh, yeah, be careful there.
2: Welcome to season five, episode seven of the Sportscasters. It is February twenty-eighth, twenty fifteen. Stephen Don. Really excited about the podcast today. Anthony Cumia of the Opian Anthony Show, a guy who is none too familiar with Controversy. Uh, controversy. <laughs> yeah. Uh will join us to talk about radio. Which is awesome. And podcasts. And Uh, just an unbelievable resource. You know, in my mind, uh, when you think of the last however many years in radio, I think there's Howard Stern clearly at the top, and uh, Anthony Cumia, who I kind of think is the better of the two in the Opie and Anthony uh pairing. Although they're both very different.
0: Yeah, they're dynamic. Opie is the radio guy. I think he kind of. I think most people would think that Anthony was the funnier of the two, but I think Opie kind of steered the ship a little bit.
2: The interesting thing is that in the post-Opie and Anthony era, Anthony has created a a pretty darn good show without anyone else around him, Mm -hmm. while Opie's show has evolved to being Opie and Jimmy and and some other comedian and Sam Roberts. You know, so maybe we didn't realize just how – Able, uh, Kumia was in terms of steering the ship and things like that. But regardless of that, uh, it's a really, a really, I'm really pumped to have Anthony Kumia on the show today. Could, yeah, I
0: wasn't going to be more excited. I was not here when the interview was done, so I, I'm pumped to hear it. That was uh, really for the first time. I'm trying to think who got into – we're a Buffalo podcast if it's your first time listening today, and I don't remember who got to Buffalo first. Was it Opie and Anthony or Howard Stern? I think Howard
2: was first, but I, I sort of mentioned to Anthony that
0: – They weren't even in the same time slot when they were here because Opie and Anthony were afternoons and right. Howard was morning. And, and, you know,
2: I would say the An- Opie and Anthony show was generally bigger here Here, here.
0: I than w- would show. agree with that, and that's what I was going to say. I remember listening to Howard in the mornings at work – but even going back a few years before that, uh, listening to Opie and Anthony, that that came when I was in college. And that was appointment after my classes. I would come home and turn on the radio for what might be four hours that night if I didn't have anything else going on. It was appointment radio. So I'm excited to hear what he had to say.
2: Don mentioned you might be listening for the first time. Uh, maybe you checked it out because Anthony was on. And if – You did. We appreciate that. And I usually save this stuff for the end, but if you're not here in the end, just really quickly I wanted to mention uh, you can find uh, this podcast and all of our podcasts on our website, www.sports-casters.com, including last week's podcast, which had uh, Chris Ballard from Sports Illustrated on a wonderful piece he did on the Golden State Warriors, and uh, television play-by-play man for the Nashville Predators, Pete Weber. And radio play-by-play voice of the New York Rangers, Kenny Albert. So it was a great show last week, and you can find that on our website, on Stitcher, iTunes. You can tweet us at sports underscore casters or email us to sportscasters at gmail.com. So one more time, real quick, what we got today. In a second, we're going to do three things. Then we'll have Anthony Kumia. We'll update the book club which will then be followed by an interview with the director of the film we've been featuring in the book club, Gabe Polsky, and then we'll close this thing out with one last thing.
1: Let's play a game. All right.
2: Count of three. One. All righty. I'll take it off. Two. The oil patterns on a PBA lane are very, very difficult. Three. I might be able to beat Jamarcus Russell at quarterback. (laughs) This is the funnest night ever! (laughs) Best friend yep. now let's move on to other business all right three things for today Ugh, chicago you
0: yeah had a, you had a rough day <laughs> yeah indeed
2: buffalo we're used to these kinds of days
0: we actually uh had not a similar day in terms of two sports but we had a similar day on the ice but it's kind of like one of those things. Like, uh, I don't want anyone to be hurt, but because we're hoping for last this year, this might actually uh, right, help the cause Gergensen's a little bit. And Ennis, and Ennis, both getting hurt, the two right. best offensive players probably on the team.
2: Uh, and we'll talk about we can talk about that in a second. But Chicago lost Pat Kane and Derrick Rose. Yeah, that's that's brutal on the same day. And I wanted to talk about it for a second one because I think we've always made it pretty clear we're pretty big Pat Kane fans on the show.
0: Yes, uh, maybe reformed. Reformed, yeah. Hater. I I don't want to put yours in your mouth, but I was one of the guys kind of disgusted by his behavior. But he turned me around and made me realize, yeah, I don't know if I would have wanted everything I did at 19 broadcast. And with all that
2: said, this was the year where he sort of really put it all together. I mean, he's having a career year leading the NHL in points. Yep. You know, he had a really great chance to win an Art Ross trophy, to maybe win an MVP trophy, and now... Which
0: has never been done by an American? Is that what I heard?
2: I believe that's correct, yeah.
0: Wow, yeah, that's a it's a bummer for American hockey. It's a bummer for Buffalo. It's a bummer especially for Chicago. And
2: it's a broken clavicle, which required surgery, and they're calling 12 weeks, which is basically... No Pat Kane unless Chicago gets to a Western Conference final. Yeah. Which... It's going to be
0: tough. It sucks. I mean, now you're replacing Patrick Kane with someone you're probably going to trade for, like uh, the rumor mill says Antoine Vermette, who is obviously not Pat Kane. So his value over replacement is going to be ridiculous in this case.
2: Before we get to Rose, you mentioned trades. And before our next show, uh, there will be an NHL trade deadline. Yeah,
0: and teams are acting like it. It already started. Yeah, uh, trades
2: are happening fast. Uh, things are drying up. I'm sure the Canadian sports stations are getting nervous because they go live all day. all day hoping to report trade after trade, and it might be a slow trade day. But from the uh, tanking world, uh, what would you like to see happen? Is there any more guys you'd like to see the Sabres move? Is there anything you'd like to see happen? Or not happen in Arizona or Edmonton?
0: I mean, I'd like to see the Sabres get rid of all their UFAs, I suppose. If you're not going to sign them, get rid of them, if, especially if you can get a piece for them. Uh, Chris Stewart might not bring you much, but you might get something. He fights, he scores goals occasionally. Uh, Tory Mitchell is one of those guys that teams that win the Stanley Cup seem to add at the deadline. He's one of those third line, fourth line character guys that can kill penalties. And, uh, I could see him getting moved. I Neuvirth seems to be the biggest problem right now, and since Enroth has been traded, Neuvirth has something like a nine, like a point nine five save percentage, which is ridiculous, uh, unsustainable, obviously. But he's playing way too well for a team that wants to be in last. I mean, I know the team itself doesn't want to be in last. Well, pick. next week for a we franchise will that wants the first pick.
2: Yeah, next week Tuesday we will absolutely uh, dissect the NHL trade deadline, and usually. Uh, That show, we bring in Wish, and we haven't had Buck Daddy in a while. So I'll definitely reach out, and hopefully, uh, we can have Wish on. And last thing 61 games, 27 goals, 37 assists, 64 points, plus 10, five game winning goals is uh, where Pat Kane's line is going to end in 2014.
0: Yeah, and last thing about the Sabres, since we're not going to get at it, uh, I hate this season. I know it's fun to be rooting for Edmonton, to be rooting for Phoenix. It's a different kind of cheering this year, but the main thing I look at every time I'm checking the standings is how many games are remaining. Like, just get this to the garage, get it, get this over with.
2: Yeah, and and you know, to piggyback on that, like the one thing I've been enjoying about this season is Pat Kane.
0: Sure, and
2: following his season and looking forward to. Him being a part of the playoffs, and obviously,
0: right? You have a tighter, a little bit. Uh, I mean, not only are you from Buffalo, but you have that six degrees of Kevin Bacon. You guys right. are very five. It's one degree between your brother and uh, yeah. Vinny. So,
2: well, my brother knows Pat. That's what I mean. Yeah. yeah so I mean, it's just uh, the other side of the coin for Chicago was Derek Rose. Uh, another knee injury. He's had so many that it just doesn't even seem uh, possible that it could happen. Uh, The Bears, or excuse me, the Bulls coach. I don't know what to say other than it's just so unfair. A guy's been through so much, and you know what he's put into it. This one, anytime you have surgery, it's tough. But hopefully this one will be much shorter uh, than the other ones. Uh, The Bulls announced he had a torn meniscus in his right knee. It's the second time in 15 months, and uh, he obviously had surgery. And his status is currently... Up in the air, but there's a hope it would be about six weeks or so uh, for that injury.
0: And real quick, I don't know if we mentioned it, but kind of as we came on to do this segment, Yarmir Gogert got traded to the Florida Panthers for a second and a conditional third. And the condition is the Devils get to decide which of the two third-round picks they have, kind of like the Sabres condition there. So that's similar to the Gabrick deal, right? Wasn't that two seconds, something like that? Yeah. Uh, that guy is ageless. He's another guy that I've kind of reformed on. I kind of hated him when my team was good and playing against him in his prime in Pittsburgh. It just seemed like uh, the total opposite of everything a Buffalo Saber was. But uh, good for him, man. That guy, that guy just keeps doing it. Forty-three years old.
2: Back to the Bulls.
0: Yes, back to the Bulls. <laughs> Sorry, uh,
2: they are thirty-six and 22, fourth place in the East. You know, they they have the benefit of being in the weaker of the two basketball conferences, obviously, right. and you would expect they should be able to maintain a position in the playoffs. And hopefully, uh, Derrick Rose can get healthy and uh, and be out there. But man, what a what a stretch of! I almost can't think of a superstar in any league who's had as many injuries to the point that it's totally derailed what his career could have been.
0: Yeah, I mean, you've got to go back to guys like uh, Bobby Orr. You know what I mean? Like uh, Terrell Davis, Steve Young. Those are all... Tough go. Yeah, yeah.
2: Second thing, uh, the NFL. bunch of stuff going on in the NFL. They had their scouting combine in Indianapolis. Yeah. Which basically means we're closer to the drafts.
0: Yes. Do you take anything away from this?
2: I don't, but I know that uh, the teams will.
0: Yeah, I used to kind of watch this. Like when I'd be up before work, eat my breakfast. And Painfully stuff. boring. Yeah, I didn't catch – I caught actually none of it this year. I didn't catch any of it.
2: Yeah, I think, you know, uh, the teams will adjust their boards a little bit. Uh, everyone who writes or talks about the draft will get a new mock draft
0: out there. Yeah. Um, Anything change? I mean, obviously, little thing. Anything I significant? I think maybe
2: Winston has really solidified his – as a number one. Number one, despite the fact that Mariota ran a really fast yeah. uh, 40, but it seems like a lot of the talk coming out of the combine you know, is just how well, how well Winston seems to be positioned now at number one.
0: Winston's going to be one of those guys, speaking of guys that I've reformed my opinion on, I know he was a guy back when he was getting into trouble or saying stupid things. I was like, man, this kid's going to hurt his draft stock doesn't sound like he's going to. He could go as soon as number one, probably, in the draft. Uh, I guess you hope for the same thing with him. Like, he's just a dumb kid, and hopefully he comes through. Because all the signs point to him being...
2: I think the word is plethora to describe the trouble Yeah, he was in in yeah. college. So. Yeah, for sure.
0: Yeah, that's different. I'm not sure, I'm not meaning to lump in him with Kane. Kane, it's on a different level, I suppose. But So
2: that <laughs> happened. Uh, Adrian Peterson... Uh, what, had a victory in court today. Yep. Uh, the judge basically said to the NFL, "You cannot make up the rules as you go along."
0: Right. So, what, what essentially happens now, though, is that it, I saw a mixed reports. Some said he's immediately reinstated. Others said that they just overturned uh, the decision on his appeal or something like that. So, I don't. I still think he has to deal with the. I don't think they can just leave him on that exempt list forever. Essentially, is what I think this... They're going to have to come to some sort of conclusion. And before this ruling,
2: which happened, I guess, today, uh, Peterson was being talked about all week because it seems like he really doesn't want any part of Minnesota anymore. Seems like he might not want to be there. I think he feels like uh, they didn't have his back. And I
0: don't know... Now this is what I was talking about before and I said we would get into this if you want to choose to see the positive side of Adrian Peterson and for full disclosure again for anyone that hasn't heard the podcast before you are a big Adrian fan he's maybe your all-time favorite player um, he's high on my list I don't have the connection I'm not an Oklahoma fan or anything so I don't have the connection you do but if you're trying to see the the if you're trying to make excuses for him what happened is all along in this process he's kind of sounded. Like, he didn't even realize what he did was wrong. It was just the way he was raised. Right, and, and we got were, into that quite a bit yeah, you know, in and around when it happened. There were some players that came out and said things to that, that extent, too. Like, oh, I was hit by stuff with, by my grandparents or my parents or whatever. So,
2: And I think another big point that we made is that we both hoped that in the end, he would learn how to be a better parent out of all this. Sure,
0: right, and his kids are raised in an environment that doesn't involve getting hit um with sticks anyway but yeah so ho- this is the spot that the nfl puts you in that's really tough especially now that greg hardy is applying for reinstatement which i know is right he's ne- looking
2: for immediate reinstatement
0: right so my buffalo bills are going to have a lousy quarterback most likely this year they don't have a first round pick and even if they did they probably weren't getting one of the top two guys uh That said, Rex Ryan's come in. He's already got one character, a guy with character flaws in Richie Incognito, and they've said they're going to beat people up on the offensive line and run the ball and do all this. So, where the NFL has put me as a fan lately is trying to reconcile, do I want this guy who injured his kids, essentially, kid, I don't know if it was the same kid uh, in the other instance that was reported too, but... Do I want this guy on my team? Because it would make my team better without a doubt. I, I think they would be... uh, What he did in Minnesota, I see no reason he couldn't duplicate in Buffalo, especially considering how good a defense they have. They could play a total ball control, old, old school kind of game plan. So I would love that on that hand. But this is what the NFL does. It makes you reconcile this crap in your head because these players can't behave themselves. Uh, So... I don't want to say I'm excited about the, the possibility of him coming to Buffalo if they're looking for a running back, but I, I mean, I, I am, and that's what football does to me, and I don't like it. I mean, I guess that could have just as easily been one way, one last thing. but I would have no
2: issue with bringing a guy like Adrian Peterson into my locker room or into my team. I wouldn't have any problem cheering for him uh, because I don't think this is a case of uh, –
0: Right, like I said, I if you're it's op- so
2: different than Ray Rice to use as a comparison. Sure, or Greg a lot, Hardy. I've had a, I've had a, I have had, I've would have a lot more trouble with one of those guys. You just have to. But it, maybe it is, I'm biased. It
0: is strange. That, I mean, you do have to compartmentalize this stuff, and it sucks the NFL makes you do that. I mean, maybe it would be easier if they just canned all these guys that got into problems like this, yeah. Michael Vick. That's and all a lot that.
2: of work for a fan to yeah. have to be yeah. evaluating morals and right. legal battles and right. where you – I've, I've seen for uh,
0: Matthew Barry tweeted out something to the effect that he'd be the fifth overall pick in my draft right now, no matter where he lands. And he said he might even have him too low. And some of the responses to that, I was curious what people said. And there was a lot of people now I don't believe all of them. I don't believe most of them probably, but that were saying not on my fantasy team. Like I give me a break. <laughs> yeah. That's kind of what I thought too. But, uh, if yeah, you, it's a tough spot for a fan.
2: If you're uh, if you're drafting a fantasy team based on morality, you might be taking it a little too seriously. I mean, it's, yeah, you might want like a. It's fantasy a game. game. It's a game. Like, do you like when you play Settlers of Catan? Do you? Uh, do you not, like, maybe that's a bad example of a game, but you, you're the board game guy. I mean, come on, when you're playing more. some board game, do you do you not pick the wizard because he he, he has bad spells? <laughs> right, right. Come on, fantasy football is a game. Give me a break, people. Yep. Last thing. This one hurts. This one hurts a lot. Josh Hamilton uh, is apparently off the wagon and is facing discipline. Uh, from Major League Baseball. And we've talked about Hamilton quite a bit on this show, especially uh, when he was approaching free agency. Uh, Brian Curtis, actually, was someone who had a, a really great article about, uh, about Hamilton on Grantland and came in to talk about it. Uh, what, is, what really sets Hamilton apart, I think, from a lot of people is how he owns this stuff. I mean, I don't know if you've heard the report, Don, but uh, basically it is supposedly that he fell off the wagon and he went to Major League Baseball before he had failed the test and said, I effed up.
0: I'm going to fail this test. I'm right. going to fail
2: this test. And, uh, you know, where does that leave me? Punish, punish me appropriately, which is very different than what we normally see. Normally it's, right. oh, this test wasn't right, or this happened, or that happened, you know? Uh, let's see, we have uh, John Heyman of CBS Sports wrote he heard Hamilton had a relapse. He believes it occurred a couple months back, involved at least cocaine. There's no word of a failed test. Word is Hamilton told Major League Baseball about the relapse. Uh, Hamilton, as a player, underwent surgery earlier in the month and is expected to be out until at least May. Uh, so he won't be with the team in spring training in Arizona. Uh, the Angels are allowing him to be at a friend's house in Houston while he rehabs from the surgery, probably to control. Uh, you know, I, I'm sure it's when you have shoulder surgery and you have the addiction past that Hamilton has. You have to worry about. You have to take pain medicine. Yep. I mean, he's not Hercules just because he had a a problem. Uh, you know, he's I'm sure he's being medicated, but I'm sure it's being controlled and that's why he's at the house, I'm guessing.
0: Yeah, addiction's tough. Like you said, we pulled for Josh Hamilton in the past and continue to do so and uh he sounds like he's doing the right things. I mean relapsing aside, uh he didn't hide it. He didn't he didn't do anything wrong except for relapsing. Like
2: yeah, I, I, I think with addiction, you know, sometimes uh relapses are part of recovery. And the best way to uh, end them is to own them. And it's good to hear that Josh is doing that. And uh, I'd like to see him come out the other side on this and and uh, and salvage his career.
0: Okay, I, I keep bouncing around, but... Um, hey, you're all over the place. Sorry about that. Back to Peterson real quick, so we don't sound like we're giving totally wrong information. Ian Rappaport just sent tweeted out like two minutes ago that... The NFL has filed a notice of appeal to have the ruling reviewed by the Eighth Circuit Court of Appeal. So essentially he's going to be returned to the commissioner exempt list pending further proceedings. sounds like they're appealing the appeal. Well,
2: because he can't be suspended now, right? So they're just putting him back on the exempt list where he was to try to see if they can suspend him again.
0: Sure. So yeah, the 8th Circuit Court of Appeal will hear this and I assume this will be probably a totally hey, different story by the time the podcast comes out next fight week. Fight the good fight,
2: NFL. Keep going. Keep fighting. You do it. You guys are the best.
0: Yeah, they they are going to have to handle this super delicately. Um unfortunately for Adrian, I mean, I know there's not going to be many people that are going to be sympathetic to this, but this was the wrong, the absolute wrong. I mean, it's always wrong to hit your kid. I shouldn't even have to disclaim things like that. But uh, the Ray Rice things made them look terrible. Uh, so he is being Peterson's being handled extra extra cautiously, and I imagine any Greg Hardy will be handled similarly. And uh, yeah, they're appealing his appeal.
2: Commissioner Goodell's a piece of shit, and his league should be embarrassed. For the way they handle just about everything. If this was a so league... so you go ahead and you try to say yeah. face. And I mean, you if you this do was the NHL, wanna
0: do. this would be to- uh, he probably would have been gone. But because they're billionaires that print money, or uh, in a league that prints money, uh, that's why he he's going to escape.
2: You th- you think that the NHL would have banned Peterson for life for this? No, 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 no. I oh. think
0: I think something would have been done about the commissioner. Oh, oh if right. If he had meant this oh slip absolutely.
2: Although the NHL has an almost unforgivable record with their commissioner, why he's still the commissioner is maybe also questionable. (laughs) It's almost
0: become cartoonish with with him.
2: All right, let's get out of this. We're going to take a break and uh, probably come back with Anthony Cumia. Our next guest is from Long Island, New York, and for 20 years was the co-host of the Opian Anthony Show, before moving on to start his own show, the Anthony Cumia Show. He's making his first appearance on the podcast today, a warm sportscaster's welcome to radio legend, Anthony Cumia. What's well, up, Ant? I'm a legend. Very cool. How you doing, man? I'm doing good. You know, when I think about it. And as honest as I can be, when I think about radio in my life over the last, you know, 20 years I've been listening or 25, it's Howard Stern and Opie and Anthony. I mean, that's that's the landscape, really. I mean, I don't really listen to political radio, so I wouldn't throw Mm -hmm. something in there. And I love sports radio, but, you know, that's, I don't know. There's nothing revolutionary usually about it, you know what I mean? It's Right, right, yeah. Yeah. You
1: know, I, I, I like talking about a little bit of everything, you know, throw it all in there. But, uh, yeah, the Howard thing definitely, you know, it was the same thing uh, as far as I was concerned. Growing up, kind of listening to radio, that was what I wanted to do. It just seemed like the coolest job ever.
2: <laughs> well, you know, growing up in Buffalo, uh, the Opie and Anthony show probably was bigger than Howard most of the time. Because Howard never really had a solid station here. Most of the time, if you're listening mm-hmm. to Howard on the radio in Buffalo, is from a Canadian station. Right. Uh, yeah. And I think with Opie's connection to Buffalo, I think the city, which is a really loyal city, sort of felt like those are our guys in a way. Yeah,
1: yeah. We had a, an amazing audience in Buffalo. And anytime uh, we did go up there... Uh, Wow, it was just a, a quite a party. <laughs> so, yeah, we, we I liked our Buffalo days.
2: <laughs> you know, I would never uh, bring anyone on here and be two-faced. And I have to be honest, for a long time, people would say to me how great the O.B. Anthony show was. And I would say, I'm sure it's fine, but why would I listen to that when I can listen to Howard Stern, which is mm-hmm. the better... Version. This was my mindset in 1994, 1995. And then, to be honest, I became such a huge fan of your show because Howard sort of opened the door and said, you need to listen to other things because I'm only doing this three days a week now or 110 days a year. And right about the middle of the first contract is when I sort of started finding other things and sort of realized that it's really nice of Howard to tell everyone that all these other things are just copies of Howard. But the reality is that there's other people doing great radio. So I was wrong and had to go to a lot of people, friends, and say, "You know what? I was wrong about that. This is a this is a, a show of similar genre, but that doesn't mean that that um that it's a, a copycat." So I, I was wrong, and and uh, I was uh, lucky to uh, to have had the chance to to realize that for sure.
1: It, it, it was a, it was a strange. Uh time. Also, um, you know, Howard at the top of his game and for anyone else to come in with any kind of personality driven radio, you were going to be compared to Howard. So you had to be entertaining and at that time outrageous, but you didn't want people to be able to legitimately tag you with a Howard clone or copycat show. So, uh, you know, it it, it took a lot to uh, get the show as popular as it became without uh, being really a, a Howard um, clone show, as he used to say. So, uh, I mean, and that was his defense against any competition was, oh, they're just ripping me off. You know, right. he's made so much fun of that over the years. Uh, and I think we did have quite a different show than Howard's. I mean, as far as being a kind of a over-the-top, outrageous, um, shock show, uh, we both had that but i think that's where it really ended our personalities really came through uh a lot different uh than howard's
2: you know maybe one of his biggest strengths maybe one thing i i never gave him enough credit for was how great he was at convincing the audience that if you waste mm-hmm. your time listening to anything else you're just listening to uh to to a, a copycat or whatever and uh yeah. he, and i was he could destroy shows he could Master of it, DeRoy, right? the yeah. show, man. I mean, just by
1: getting his audience in there um, and, and telling them that they sucked, they were copycats, they're, they're not cool to listen to, I mean, that was it. You were done. And that's something that me and Opie early on decided was not going to happen to us. We were going to fight back and we were going to do it in a, a funny way and make people kind of laugh at Howard being so defensive, you know, like kind of turn it around on him and uh, and it worked people found it funny they they uh kind of uh, got behind the underdog which uh, was us and and it worked out the worst thing you could do when howard was beating you up was nothing because uh, uh that just didn't work and and you were dubbed uncool uh you look at mark and bryan and uh, debella and all those people that he just ravaged over the years uh they decided to ignore him um and you know that's not how you you battle with Howard over the years,
2: <laughs> yeah, and that was sort of a unique strategy that you guys had too. Which, you know, I, I'm sure many other jocks over the years probably are saying to themselves, "Maybe we should have tried something similar to that." Uh, but it takes a yeah. lot of balls to fight a giant like that, I guess. You know,
1: yeah, it was, and it was uh, something the program directors and GMs always said. You know, don't, don't, don't acknowledge him. Just don't acknowledge him. And it's like, I, I had been such a fan of his over so many years. I saw how he disassembled shows and what, what strategy he used. And I knew that if you could come back at him with some funny kind of, you know, uh, kind of beat on him, but not, not make it seem like he's not as big as he is and not as funny as he is, because you're not going to win over Howard's audience by coming into his town, which was New York at the time. And saying that he's not good, it doesn't work; he right. is good, people love him. Uh, that strategy doesn't work. But what you can do is point out those things that people kind of looked at him and went, "Oh, really, Howard did you invent that Like people still had a sense of reality and knew what was real and not to a point. so if you pointed those things out and just kind of chipped away at him a little bit over the years, uh you know people would find that funny and endearing and they kind of would come around to your side
2: you know one last thing about this i wonder and i wonder if you if you ever thought this or felt this in the last i don't know five or so years of the opie and anthony show do you kind of feel like you were the only guys in the fight that sort of howard had kind of kind of given up on trying to destroy people that he was in his world at sirius and that maybe acknowledging him and pushing the button still at that point was maybe the wrong move. Uh, yeah, it wasn't really
1: necessary to get into radio battles anymore on Howard's end. I can only assume what his thought process was, but when you're making that much money and you have, um, you have, uh, you know, America's got talent and, you know, just a, a bunch of things going on. The idea of, battling it out with some jock somewhere just seems ridiculous at that point. Uh, for us. Yeah. I never had any real problems with Howard. I mean, it made for good radio and, and I'm not saying it was fake or anything. He did pull some stuff that pissed us off behind the scenes. And, uh, but as far as any real animosity goes, I could care less. I, I used to pass those guys in the hall in serious, uh, and you know, they were fine. They were really nice people. Uh, so you know, we, we didn't really continue any battle. We'd still call him out on some hypocrisies or uh, sometimes when he would do something that I think the old Howard would kind of laugh at or cringe at. We <laughs> like would being point on that America's out. Got
2: Talent? Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it did, I don't think it came off as much as we were trying to battle him anymore as it came off as, hey, he's a celebrity just like anyone else. And if he was in the news or did something or said something that was of any note we were going to talk about it, Uh, which, you know, shouldn't have been confused for us still battling with him or anything.
2: Anthony, I'm sure over the last six or seven or eight months or whatever, you've had a lot of time to reflect on the 20 years of the Opie and Anthony show. And I don't mean to throw out something a little bit too general, but when you did do that reflecting and you did look back, was there a certain thing or things that really makes you the proudest of what the show was in its 20 years?
1: Uh, just the, the longevity alone is pretty amazing. Uh, we've seen so many shows, shows that had, you know, gotten pretty popular, just, you know, gone by the wayside after a few years and to keep it going and, uh, keep that name recognition and popularity and fan base going for 20 years was pretty amazing. And, uh, I was always really happy and, and and proud of what we had built up and how, you know, I knew I was going in there on a daily basis um, to just talk and talk about anything and, and to be able to hold someone's interest with a story or entertain somebody or make somebody laugh uh, with a, a ridiculous true story from my life. Uh, those moments are, uh, you know, they stand out as the ones I'm I'm pretty proud of because, uh, as things are happening, especially when you're a kid, to think that at some point those would become memorable stories that other people would know about is crazy. You, you couldn't even fathom it. Uh, so to be able to uh, talk to people over the radio and really get that image in their minds as to what you went through or uh, what was happening at a certain point in my life and people finding it entertaining, that always sticks with me as something I could be pretty proud
2: of. You know, I was lucky enough to steal eight minutes, uh, through some crafty emailing with Artie Lang when he was <laughs> when he was uh producing or uh, promoting his last book. And one thing I asked him, and I'm really curious to see what you think about it, is it always made good radio. I was listening to some of the decade of dominance one of the times that it's been on, the, the new uh show that that OPES had on uh, on the channel. And it, there was a long part about your divorce and a really open and honest uh Discussion about all those things, and it makes her incredible radio. But looking back, do you ever, do you ever, I don't know if regrets is the right word, but are there ever things or parts of your life that you wish weren't quite as transparent as as they ended up being ultimately?
1: Uh, not really, because there, there's there's kind of a weird reason for it. Um, and believe it or not, it usually came out on slow, slow news days, or when you didn't really have a lot to talk about you'd open up yourself and open up, you know, what you were going through, uh, you know, just as a self-preservation, you know, you got to do a show. It's got to be about something. And if there's nothing to talk about, you better find something uh, to talk about based on yourself, your life, your, you know, what you like, what you hate. So talking about so many aspects of my personal life over the years, it's kind of cathartic. And it's, I I always found some way to kind of make it funny uh, even if it was something as horrid as a divorce or something like that. Uh, whether I, I would regret it or, or think twice about it, no. It, when you're in a position where people know pretty much everything about your life, there's a certain freedom there. No one could really hold anything over your head anymore. <laughs> uh, there's no secrets. There's no uh, weird thing that no one knows about. I mean, my life is really proverbial open book, and um, uh, like I said, there's a certain relaxation and freedom and (laughs) stress-freeness that comes from that.
2: (laughs) Yeah, for sure. You know, uh, Jackie Martling has been on your new show, and we're going to talk about that in a second, for sure. Mm -hmm. Uh, And one thing that (laughs) he always cracked me up about is uh, talking about how he left the Stern Show just a little too early, because shortly after he left, Paul McCartney was on, and Paul McCartney loves jokes and a you know, if Jackie just could have been in there, you know they would have bonded on jokes, and he would have been, you know, a tra- <laughs> you know, whatever. And it's funny to to laugh about, it, and maybe it's a little extreme, but since you've been gone from a show that you were such a big part of and built, is there anything that that you really wish you didn't miss out on? Are there maybe not a specific thing, but when you look back and you and you wake up one day and you know you're not going there, or no. Is, is there a few things that, man, it would have been nice to be there for that or for this?
1: Yeah, a, a couple of things. Sometimes I'll hear about guests that they've had on and been like, oh, that would have been cool. Like, I, I really would have liked to have been in there when the Foo Fighters came in.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, I always went, kind of wanted to meet those guys. So seeing the pictures of those guys and the Foo Fighters, I'm like, oh, fuck, man. You know, I, I would like to have seen that. <laughs> um Uh, Other than that, it's more a missing just the camaraderie uh, of uh, especially, you know, there's no secret, me and Jimmy would just joke back and forth constantly and uh, that was some of the most fun I ever had. Um, He's brilliant and and very quick-witted and uh, to just trade barbs with him uh, was always fun. If, If I made Jimmy crack up laughing, I knew that I'd done something and said something that uh, the audience probably really enjoyed too. So uh, he was a good barometer for that. So yeah, I miss that camaraderie, the guys all sitting around uh, that console, just kind of going back and forth with each other.
2: You know, Anthony, when the reality hit that you weren't going back there, that it was time for the next phase of your career. You really moved quickly in, into starting the Anthony Cumia show. And I, I'm sure logistically there was a lot of headaches and a lot of things you had to sort out and getting technology in place and all those kinds of things. So I don't mean that. But as the guy who was going to be behind the mic every day and, and and doing the show, what were the things that concerned you about pulling it off as a one-man band coming from a really strong, uh, well-oiled, three-headed monster, for lack of a better term, and mm-hmm. now facing the idea of being the Anthony Cumia show and being the one behind the camera and the one behind the mic and having all of that, what really concerned you about pulling it off and how do you think you've done with that in the first six months or so?
1: Yeah, it was, uh, it was quite a, quite a stressful, um, process, uh, getting everything up and running. And then for me to do a show by myself and then to, to make it also a visual show, uh, video. Uh, I don't know what I was thinking (laughs) at that point because, uh, I hadn't done a a TV show. I've never done like a a steady, a TV show. I've done things, you know, Fox red eye or Hannity or a few other programs over the years, but, uh, never a steady television type show. So, uh, that, I was brand new to that. Um, and and just doing a show by myself, looking into a camera and talking about things. Uh, I wasn't used to doing that. I I'd pontificate about a few things on the o a show uh, or have a conversation with Jimmy or Opie. Uh, but that was a a big maybe with me. I felt I could do it. I was confident about it. And, and and when I first started doing it, you know, the nerves are there and the awkwardness of, of certain situations and, but um over time you just uh get a little more confident and a little um a little better at it uh, the background of doing an ensemble show like like the One show over the years was definitely key in in helping me uh launch this and and kind of know what the audience wanted but uh nothing like a little time behind the launch uh, to get to get you where you, you want to be. And I'm glad that we're six months, seven months in now, because uh, those first few weeks and uh, first month or two, um, yeah, a little a little awkward, uh, scary, nerve-wracking. Um, so, you, you know, there's nothing like just doing it. And I think the more I do this, the better I'll get at it. Uh, and And, you know, having the team I have behind me, they're doing a great job, too, logistically and uh, create, creatively. So uh, I'm happy with where we are, and uh, it can only get only get better at this point.
2: Yeah, you know, a few times that I've listened to you on other shows, uh, one thing I've noticed is it feels like you'd really rather not refer to the show as a podcast. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Talk a little bit about that, about what, like, is it the word itself that you think sort of, Maybe it's looked down upon a little bit that you'd rather enjoy. Is it just that you think that the show itself is, is more than a podcast? or Why is it, do you think, that you kind of just want to avoid that word a little bit? Well, I, I, first
1: and foremost, I don't think it's an accurate depiction of what it is. It is a web show. It's, uh, if you just say podcast, that leaves a lot of area for what it could be. Is it a guy and a mic? Uh, is it live? Is it recorded and put up on iTunes? Is it, you know, there's so many things that a podcast is. Saying podcast is almost like saying Xerox. You know, it's, it's kind of a thing, but there are other versions of it. Um, so I, I think web show, uh, kind of uh, web TV show, uh, it's kind of weird because it's so different and not many people are doing this, that it really doesn't have a a solid name of what it even is. Uh, it's, you know, being a live show, uh, broadcast in, you know, HD, uh, on a daily basis is something that just isn't really going on right now.
2: Yeah. It's it's very unique. Yeah. It's very unique. It it does sort of fit into its own, its own category in a sense. And, you know, what, what we do is, is certainly a podcast for sure. Mm -hmm. And, uh, We've done our best, um, and since 2011, we have uh, mm-hmm. have done pretty, pretty, pretty decent, but it still can really cut you when you just listen. In, I think it was actually Howard I was listening to a few weeks ago, and someone asked him about podcasts, and man, did he rip it down. <laughs> I mean, yeah, he yeah. just, and I was just like scratching my head thinking, wow, you're one of those schmucks. He is just tearing to shit right now. Well, you
1: know, it's it's part actually part of the competition of satellite radio. Uh and you know, if you listen to some clips uh, of Howard in his FM days, uh he lambasted satellite radio as a wasteland, a no man's land, a graveyard for people that used to be in radio. I mean, you know, that's Howard, he's always going to bash the thing that might come up against him at some point. And uh honestly, if you look at the way things are going, I really see podcasting and web broadcasting uh, as the competition for uh, terrestrial radio, satellite radio, and uh, certainly some some TV also. Uh, you know, people that are funny and creative and want to do this uh, will rise to the top and um, and I think do very well uh, in this medium. So, you know, you got to take it with a grain of salt when Howard kind of Bash is a, a, a newer medium.
2: Obviously, you have uh, enjoyed the freedom that you've had in the Anthony Cumia show. You joke about how the only way they can stop this show is boarding up my house, or you know, something, yeah, yeah, something like that. And you did have uh, satellite radio. Obviously, there's a there's a level of freedom much higher above terrestrial radio, obviously. Mm-hmm. But tell me about the extra freedom. That the Anthony Kumia show. What are the things that you feel like you've been able to do that wouldn't have just wouldn't have worked in, in the previous setting?
1: Yeah, well, the, well, when you look at the difference between terrestrial and satellite radio, the freedom you get is pretty much only based on FCC rules.
2: So swearing, <laughs> the seven
1: dirty words, right. the yeah language, whatever the FCC said you couldn't do on terrestrial radio, you could do on satellite. Content is a whole other animal. And I think the big misconception that people had uh, with satellite radio, and I mean the listener and the people that are broadcasting, was that there was going to be a medium that was totally free and open to discuss all topics in plain English. And this was great. Uh, No, (laughs) that isn't the way it works. Uh, You still are under so much restriction as far as your content goes. Uh, Like I said, the FCC rules went out the window. You could say uh, those seven dirty words. You could talk about sex very openly and graphically. Uh, But a lot of other things that uh, are sensitive issues, um, race, sexuality, uh, misogynistic uh, commentary, uh, that will still get you in trouble. Uh, on satellite radio so for me to to do this show it truly gave me freedom to talk about any subject in plain and open language and have anybody else come on the show whether it's live or by phone or you know a guest or a caller and and be able to talk openly and honestly uh, and I think, believe it or not, in this day and age, with so many different avenues to broadcast from, that is something we just don't see enough of. Uh, there's there's a climate now of political correctness and a witch hunt going on for uh, people that are expressing their ideas and ideology and, and uh, stretching their freedom of speech legs and getting in trouble for it. So uh, people are scared.
2: Yeah, yeah. People are scared. I, I'm scared sometimes. You know. Yeah. Uh, I'm an independent. You know, that's where we live. I'm an I'm an independent. Yeah. No, the only reason I can get people to come on here is because of the reputation I've built. And if I send one wrong tweet and, and it ruins that reputation, yeah. no one's ever going to come mm-hmm. on anymore.
1: Yeah, it's really a a detriment to creativity and broadcasting, if you ask me. And. uh right. No one pays attention to the context of a statement anymore. They just hear it. Uh, you might as well just write it down on a, a piece of paper without any inflection or context or anything, and uh, you know you could get in big trouble for things that you say, um, regardless of the context. So, you know that's curtailed a lot of creativity. So, what I'm doing and the, the medium I'm using and and the model I'm using, where I'm not beholden to. To sponsors or a company, uh, you know it's it's the subscribers. That's the only people I have to answer to, and uh, they know what they're getting. So, um, it's it's an interesting way to do this and and be able to speak openly and honestly.
2: The Anthony Akumia Show is new, and it's going to be it's evolving as I listen on a weekly basis, and it it's going to evolve more. I know you guys are working on an app. I've seen some of the screenshots and it looks yeah, amazing. Yeah. I mean, I can't wait for what the app's going to be. Night. You guys have also been talking about getting some space in New York. Uh, mm-hmm. Obviously, that's going to help with guests. Is that really the motivation for that spot or is there something more uh, about being in the city beyond just who you might be able to uh, get to, to, to take the subway or a car to your place instead of having mm-hmm. to go to Long Island?
1: Yeah, that's well, that's pretty much the the number one reason Mainly, for it yeah. uh, the you know we're willing to send a car and and take people uh, out to to my studio here in long island in my my house <laughs> but um you know some people shy away from that i don't think uh i don't think you know you have that credibility that you have when you're broadcasting from a studio in manhattan uh you know, it, it almost sounds like, oh, really? Go go into your basement and do a do a show. Meanwhile, the studio I have is a state-of-the-art broadcasting facility in my house, but it is in my house, and some people, um, you know, it, it, it puts a, a stigma on it, I think. Uh, so getting guests and having, you know, that, that credibility factor where, yeah, the Anthony Cumia show is broadcasting live from New York City. Uh, it really does kind of Uh, give you a a better, better image. So, uh, yeah, between guests and image, I think that's the main reason we want to get something in the city. It, It was again, a timing issue. I mean, the fastest way I could get up and running was to do the show from my house. I had the studio built, uh, logistics were in place pretty much. And that was the easiest way to get up and running as quickly as possible. Now, that we, you know, got a little foothold and and we're we're doing well. Uh, it's time to again keep thinking forward, and that that studio in New York City is just part of the the growing process that uh, we're constantly going through with this show. Very you know, exciting.
2: I want to ask you about that. You know how I know how important it was to get it, to get it going quickly, and and I understand why. Uh, mm-hmm. be, beyond what was in your mind for getting it quickly, do you think that? An extra bonus to starting so quick is that as being the guy who was exiled from the show uh, and being the guy that was out there who had the benefit of uh, the support Anthony – I don't remember what the exact hashtag was. It's been a bit, but do you think mm-hmm. that you kind of became a guy that people really wanted to support be- and that hitting it so quick was a way to like build on that momentum?
1: Yeah. Yeah. It was, it definitely, I, I wanted to get up and running quickly and, and kind of grab the, the heat that was, uh, that was going on at the time around the show and uh, the situation that happened with me. So yeah, I wanted to get up and running quickly. I, I knew, uh, we had had such a dedicated fan base over the years that I knew if I put something out there, uh, these people were going to support it. And, uh, That was really important to get those uh, really hardcore fans on board as quickly as possible. Uh, Yeah, it was kind of, you know, I think they felt that something was taken from them. You know, my job was taken away, but I think they felt something was taken away from them. On a daily basis, they were listening and being entertained or, you know, enlightened, whatever, from what they were hearing. And for some reason, some other entity decided that they could no longer have that uh and regardless of the reason i think um you know they came in droves to support me because they felt like they were wronged too right so uh this you know gave everybody kind of a a place to regroup and um you know voice it and and kind of turn things around and and get back to what we wanted which was again free open and honest talk about what's going on
2: and i mean all the emotions that had to be going on at that point it must have been great to get all the tweets with the cancel notices and all that stuff. I can't imagine. I mean, that had to be huge for you, right?
1: Oh yeah. You know, uh, putting aside my feelings for Opie and Jimmy, I mean, I obviously want them to succeed in, in what they're doing. And, you know, I would never want to divide the, the audience uh, between us or anything like that. But, you know, there is something to be said when a bunch of people rally support for you by, um, you know, hurting the pocketbook, as they say, of the people that uh, that fired you, which is management and the upper echelon of SiriusXM. So, you know, uh, it did feel good. Absolutely,
2: sports guests are here, finishing up with Anthony Cumia. He's the host of the Anthony Cumia Show. You can find out all the information about that at anthonycumia.com. dot uh, com. The show is Monday through Thursday, four to six. You got H D video, you can listen to it at audio. There's an app coming out. Uh they're gonna be moving to New York City for you you're gonna do that sort of like when there is a New York City studio, will it be every day of the show there? Or will there be a mix between the compound and there? Or is that
3: something you I haven't really we'll, thought about yet?
1: I think we'll be doing most of the shows from the city. I think um anytime we do a show from here it'll be uh you know, one of the out by the pool out shows the pool, or yeah some reason to be, uh, here in the house. I-, I think it's just a lot better to, you know, get up, go to the studio, do the show. It kind of makes it a little more, um, y- you remember what you're doing. It's a little easier to remember you're doing a show. This is your job. Uh, I enjoy it, but you know, I, I have a responsibility. Sometimes you can forget that when you trod down the stairs in your pajamas and grab something <laughs> out of the fridge and five minutes later you're on the air. I mean, I do like that. It is kind of fun and convenient and lazy. <laughs> um, but uh, I think getting back into the swing of things and in a routine will uh, will definitely be better for all involved.
2: <laughs> sort of finishing up with a couple last things. Uh, I sent out on, tw- <laughs> I, on Twitter earlier, I, I mentioned you were going to be on and asked, if anyone had anything, and believe it or not, oh, was it gold, the stuff I got? <laughs> <That's> <laughs> Did someone wanted me to ask you if you remember TNA with ONA at Mickey Rats, Oof. which is outside of Buffalo. Oh, yeah. yeah, good good times it, that day, huh? It was, that
1: is legendary. <laughs> and um, I, I, me and Opie still think that if we weren't fired for the Sex for Sam thing, which was shortly after the TNA with ONA that we would have been fired for the TNA with ONA because they were already circling the wagons. And, uh, that was the only, uh, show that got an FCC complaint that was never broadcast. It didn't even fall under FCC jurisdiction. It wasn't a live show. We weren't broadcasting live that day. We were just there to do a party, a beach party with, you know, nude volleyball stripper girls. And, uh, it got way out of hand. And, um, I mean, it was pretty much literal sex acts going on on the beach, Um, and, and, uh, yeah, people were very angry, so it it is a memorable, memorable uh, moment,
2: though, in our our radio career. To think it happening in Angola, New York, of all places, right? Right,
1: exactly,
2: (laughs) (laughs) It's great. Rat actually tweeted me for five great things about his amazing techie, but we'll skip that. (laughs) <laughs> Someone wanted to know your cock size. I think that's pretty documented. You, you got something nice there. Um, <laughs> uh, one thing, this is—it actually isn't a bad thing. Someone asked about, the, they, they said the traveling virus tour, but maybe one thing that it seemed like you guys were frustrated was not being able to have the support of Sirius to get out from the mics and to do stuff in the community, so yeah. to speak, a little bit more. You've already done a poker tournament. Uh, so mm-hmm. I, I assume this is something you want to do more. Not necessarily a quote unquote virus tour because that's an O and A thing. But yeah, yeah, you have plans, right? To to be out there more and to interact with the subscribers. oh yeah,
1: yeah, anything. Yeah, else? we're looking to uh, do all kinds of uh, extracurricular activities and get the uh, people involved. That's something I really loved doing with the O and A. Whether it was a big event or just you know me and Opie deciding after a show one day. Uh, last break, we would say, "Yeah, we're going down to Bar Nine in Manhattan or something," and we'd all just uh, hang out with the listeners that were in the area and drink beers and laugh our asses off. I mean, I always loved doing that—the the, the uh, St. Pat's uh, St. Patrick's Day uh, bar crawls we would do—just um, always fun. I like that interaction. It's it's always been uh, one of my favorite things to do. So when SiriusXM pretty much just shoved us in the studio and every idea we had for getting out there and mixing it up with the uh the audience was turned down um you know we got frustrated and then me having this opportunity with this show uh you know we're doing that again uh winter is not the best time to do outdoor things or you know travel things so uh once spring hits and and that app is up and running and the website is relaunched and uh we got the space in new york things like that you know another big uh relaunch of of the show uh yeah we're going to concentrate a lot on on getting out there and doing uh, more stuff with the with the listeners viewers as it were
2: <laughs> i still can't believe they didn't go for the cruise thing i mean that just would have been sick
1: <sighs> i know i was so psyched to hear that and uh just the thought of what that would have been like uh phew what a party
2: <laughs> what a bust one guy wants yeah. to know they the one the one guy he needs you on H1Z1 he says he needs his leader back so <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah
1: i've been uh i've been playing that one the zombie game it's um it's a lot of fun uh people are brutal on it so <laughs> <laughs> the I'll uh get, i'll
2: get on yeah they need you they say they need their leader and then another guy said uh that you should have him call Opie live on the show and see if I can squash that shit. And that <laughs> <laughs> that would be great, but that's never going to happen. One thing I want—we'll finish with this. One thing I wanted to ask you about that is: Do you think that in the end, when this happens, when eventually you and Opie, like you said on the show today, it would have been so much fun to be with him at Collins' thing, have a beer, tweet the pictures. Yeah. In the end, when that happens, don't you feel like a huge weight? is going to kind of be lifted off of everyone's back just that everyone kind of just back off a little bit with all this stuff and trying to dissect the relationship and yeah yeah
1: absolutely i think people are making a bigger thing of it than it is i mean you know it's no secret Uh, we grew up uh we grew grew differently uh over the years into different lives and lifestyles and things like that and uh and you know that that's going to happen. Um, we've butted heads over the years, but nothing crazy. We just weren't as close as uh, we had been. Uh, we were still doing what I thought was great radio. Uh, it wasn't affecting that at all. So you know we'll we'll get back together at some point and hang out and talk, and uh, maybe who knows professionally what down the road will bring. But you know I would work with him again for sure. So uh, we'll see.
2: <laughs> well, again, it's at Anthony Cumia on Twitter, which I'll have to say that unfortunately I'm blocked, Anthony. And What happened? I did I, just, I block you? I just found out today that I was blocked. <laughs> Come on. And I was like, oh, no, what did I do? So I Googled and searched it down. <laughs> I've I've tweeted you two times from my account. One time... You must have said something about diversity, and I once had a roller hockey team called Diversity, uh, which was sort of like uh-huh. a play off the joke from Anchorman, and I said, like, oh, you're talking about this. So it wasn't that. So my guess is it was this uh-huh. tweet where I said, are you trying to claim all of those people at the show tonight were full of shit and only did it for money? Now, I don't know what, we were, what I was asking about, but I got huh. shit-canned for that, so...
1: Interesting. You know what? I've talked about blocking people a lot over the years and many times I've noticed that it was my fault. I either pulled the trigger without looking and blocked the wrong person or it was uh, a, a night where I was drinking wine and maybe being a little overzealous on the block button. But uh, I've noticed nine out of ten times when I block someone, I probably shouldn't have blocked them. So please give me your twitter and i will unblock you immediately
2: well that makes me feel good it's at sports underscore casters and i will be tagging i will tag you uh to promote this and if we can get a retweet that would make us i absolutely
1: will (laughs) i absolutely i just wrote it down the second we get off the phone i'm unblocking you i
2: apologize (laughs) if it was i apologize i'm a huge huge fan and i would have never uh went on there to upset you for sure <laughs> Thank you so much, Anthony, for all this time. Oh no, it was problem. a blast. I really wanted to do an interview that wasn't about relationship with Opie and things that happened in mm-hmm. July. I really tried to, to find some oh, other things. Oh you did. It was fun, about. man. Thanks.
1: Really good questions and you know, very personable and uh conversational. I liked it.
2: Thank you so much. Uh it was an honor to do this and I'm looking forward to the evolution of the Anthony Kumia show. And I think I got everything out. It's a little different audience, which is what I pitched to Keith. You know, it is mm-hmm. sort of a sports show, but in the end, we just book guests that we're interested in. Uh, do you right, think right. I got everything out that you would want our listeners who maybe aren't as familiar uh, with? Mm-hmm. Is there anything else you want to mention? Um, Anthony Cumia. No, you
1: really, you really covered it. You got the, the website in there and what it's all about and, you know, the, the pretty much open uh, – Free speech
2: thing. Uh, yeah, no, did great, man. All right, la- very, very last thing. The one thing I did, I stressed all day about this. What song, see, what we do is a lot of times when we introduce our guests, we'll say this guy is from here. He went to this college, and we'll bring him into the college fight song. And it butters people <laughs> up because a lot of people, they love their their college and they love their fight song, right? So that butters them up right. a little bit and all day I was like, what am I going to bring him into? I was thinking about the Downeaster Alexa by Billy Joel, because it's like a Long Island thing. I thought that's kind (laughs) of lame. And then I was like, I know he sings uh, Sweet Caroline in karaoke, and I know he's done Alice in Chains. I saw you do Rooster by Alice in Chains in karaoke on a compound show. (laughs) So I thought about that, but it didn't quite work. So I went with an Alice in Chains song, but Next time when you come on, because I'm sure you're going to be a regular now. Uh, next time when you come on, yeah. what what would you what would be the perfect song to bring Anthony Cumia on onto?
1: Oh wow, that is uh, that is a tough. One. I'm the worst with like music and song. Like like, what song do you like or this? And I'm like, I always draw a blank, and the second I hang up or walk away or <laughs> shut the door I'm like oh right that one
2: <laughs> Well you can um, tweet me your answer later if you like.
1: I will I will do that after I think about when I unblock you I will tweet <laughs> you the answer to that.
2: <laughs> Alright man I'm hanging up giddy thank you so much for this I'm, I'm pumped. Thank you I had a blast man thanks so much. Talk to you soon. Bye. All right, I want to thank Anthony Kumia for being on the podcast today. I'm sure everyone who's listening for the first time, that interview just ended and they're like, what the hell is this dork shit music that is going on? <laughs> I <laughs> but, like that one, actually. That's, yeah, that was a cool one. Yeah. Uh, book Club Update. Obviously, for the month of February, we didn't feel like reading a book. Don had just read too many in a row, wanted That's a right. break. So we switched to a film, and the film we picked was called Red Army. It's a film by Gabe Polsky, and it's a documentary uh, about the Soviet hockey team of the 70s and 80s. And as we recorded last week, we were just transitioning from not knowing if Gabe was going to be a part of this to, okay, Gabe is going to be a part of this, and I'm going to have a chance to watch the movie and talk to him. So since last week, I watched the movie. And it's about an hour and twenty-five minutes, which I bet is a little shorter than of Men and Miracles. I think the ESPN one is called something like that. Even if of you miracles adjust, and men. Something. Even if
0: you adjust for commercials,
2: well, it's you know it was two hours long, okay, minus commercials. So maybe that that it's one's a close. little longer. Uh, but I like this one better. And you know what? I didn't. As proof, if you listened to the Book Club update two weeks ago, I think I even said, did we pick the wrong film? I think I was very... Right, the day after it came out. Yeah, the day after ESPN1 came out, I was concerned. Uh, So going into this, I was not convinced. And having watched Gabe's film, he killed it. It is an awesome documentary. And I think the difference is, is it really has heart. Uh, One common theme is that Slava Fetisov is a central character in both films. Mm -hmm. What's really cool about Gabe's film is Gabe sort of uses the film as a character that Slava is interacting with. And the interactions are abrasive, but there's heart there. And there's this incredible scene in Gabe's film where he's trying to ask uh, Fatisov a question, and he's just on his phone reading an email. Okay. And sort of no-selling, just ignoring him and reading. And he's like, I'm doing business. And Gabe waits and then kind of asks again, and Fatisov just gives him the middle finger. <laughs> and there's just there's just a heart to this movie. It's I was pumped uh, to have been able to see it. I'm going to try to catch it in a theater as well, uh, just to get that experience. It's playing here. Uh, It opens here on March 13th, which is when uh, Yale will be probably opening the playoffs. So I assume I'm going to be in New Haven that day. So we're not going to be able to plan any kind of events or anything like that. But if it has an extended run in Buffalo, if it's not just a one-day thing, I'd like to try to make it out to the theater to catch it and to experience it that way. Uh, obviously I watched a screener, which it's probably not the exact final copy of the film. Um,
0: even if it is, it's not necessarily the intended way to see it. Right. Yeah. Streaming on the internet is not how he shot the film. Right. I love it. Uh, please go. You should mention that. To any dorks out there that hear a screener like me? You watch a legitimate screener. Like, he, like It was given to you. It wasn't. Oh, yeah. I wasn't. Right. We didn't pirate the it. movie or anything right. like that. Uh,
2: Sonyclassics.com slash Red Army is the website that you can check out. If you want to follow Gabe on Twitter, he's at Gabe Polsky. Uh, the film has a Facebook page, a Twitter, all that. Uh, Sony Classics, by the way, uh, I believe is the same studio that put out Whiplash. Oh, okay. You know the I haven't seen it but I heard it's great. Yeah, the, the drumming Drum teacher. Yep. So go to SonyClassics.com slash Red Army. You can find theater information, where it's showing in your town. Uh, you can watch a trailer, you can buy tickets, and you can get all the links for social media, things like that. Uh, There's a biography about Gabe who you will learn more about right now because we are going to take a break and come back with former Yale hockey player and director of Red Army, Gabe Polsky.
3: They're on their feet in Pittsburgh. New Haven,
0: Connecticut is jumping at this moment. The Yale Bulldogs, for the first time, are national champions.
2: Our next guest is from the Chicago area and is a graduate of Yale University. He is making the rounds right now, out there with some of the big boys like Adam Carolla promoting his documentary, Red Army, a film that looks back at the uh, Red Army hockey team of the 70s and 80s, and he's kind enough to make an appearance on the show today. Warm Sportscasters, welcome to Gabe Polsky. What's going on, Gabe?
3: Steve, how are you doing? Thanks for having me. Yeah,
2: really excited to have you on. I, I love the idea of supporting anything that a, a Yale hockey player has done. Because Yale hockey has meant so much to my family and myself. So I'm really excited to be a part of supporting this project, for sure. Yeah,
3: we got to get your brother healthy. So yeah,
2: he's, he's getting there. Play in the
3: playoffs.
2: He's getting there. Uh, it seems like a lot of people are interested in supporting this project. Uh, my partner texted me yesterday and was like, Uh, The Yale Hockey player with the movie is on Adam Carolla right now. And I was like, oh, that's so sweet for him. You know, that's awesome. And it seems like you've been in a lot of places promoting this thing. And that's that's hard for a documentary. I mean, it's not like you have uh, the same backing that uh, the latest – I don't know, Hollywood comedy blockbuster or whatever has. So how have you been able to get the the ground so- swelling and the, not- well, the notice that you have so far?
3: Yeah, so I have a, a Sony Classics uh, behind me, which is a great you know distribution company. They they basically got nominated for 18 Oscars this year. They're very passionate about this film. One of the guys at Sony Classics, Tom Bernard, who's the head and co-head, is a big uh, hockey guy that that helps. He's very passionate about this film. But th- you know, this company they don't they release you know Oscar caliber art house movies, and uh... they picked up Red Army and r- right around Cannes, um, right before Cannes Film Festival, and the movie premiered there, and then went around the world uh, to the biggest festivals in the world, and you know, winning some awards, audience awards, and then you know, finally we're we're, we're coming on nationally here, and uh, a lot of that entails, you know, me getting out there and talking about the film, because it's not, you know, they don't have the kind of advertising budget that these Hollywood films have. You don't see posters around, you know, uh, billboards and trailers on TV and all that, so that means that i got to get out there and lava the main character in the movie and, 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 and talk to people and, you know, get people discussing this film, you know, on, on many different levels, not just hockey or sports, but just from a politics and human, you know, interest standpoint.
2: Now, you obviously are the son of, of uh, Russian parents, correct? Did I read that correctly? Yeah,
3: my parents are, you know, from the former Soviet Union, Ukraine, and they, they immigrated in, in, in the late 70s.
2: And obviously you have a hockey background, so is that how your your passion to want to make a film like this uh was created
3: yeah I mean I would say that it started that way certainly uh you know I was a serious hockey player growing up in Chicago and my with my background um, you know I, I basically took an interest in, in a little bit in uh, Soviet sort of Soviet Union and kind of what that was all about and then you know when I was uh, fifteen years old I got a VHS tape where I saw the Soviet Union play hockey for the first time and it was for me, a young hockey player is a religious experience. It was incredible what these guys did on the ice. I mean, the creativity, the improvisation—it was like nothing I'd ever seen before. They took hockey to, you know, a new level as an art form, and um, it still hasn't, hasn't sort of reached that level. They were were—they were, they were just, you know, North American style was a lot more kind of systematic and defensive and conservative, and, and, and sort of—I would say—not very free. Style of hockey, and I and I would say that the Soviet Union, on the other hand, even though their society was oppressive and brutal and not, you know, good, their hockey was was free and open and improvisational, and uh, that was the major difference. And I and I and I sort of craved that that kind of freedom um, on the ice because it was beautiful, and they were also very effective. They dominated the sport for almost 20 years, and it was just incredible. So that may be curious about the the. Uh, the, the story behind this team, who these guys were, what they were going through, what life was like there. And what I found, it was fascinating, just an amazing story, I mean, that we don't know here. And uh, it's the it's story of the country, really. Uh, so I used hockey as a window into the story of the Soviet Union and even beyond that, the story of Russia. And so its it's just, you know, kind of a big-scale story that ends up being incredibly personal at the end of the day. Uh, that's why people are responding so positively. It's just very emotional story that's powerful and deep and has a lot of really fascinating themes.
2: I don't know if you know Jeff Perlman, but uh, he's a, an author of sports books. He His most recent book is Showtime. It's about the Lakers. He's written about uh, the Mets, of the, the 86 Mets and the 90s yeah. Cowboys. And uh, two times in his career, but one main time, uh, when he wrote a book about Barry Bonds, uh, as he was getting ready to release the Barry Bonds book, A Game of Shadows was released, uh, a book by a couple of San Francisco Chronicle journalists that was essentially about a similar topic. And uh, this has happened to you with uh, the release of the the uh, 30 for 30 documentary, which is about uh, a similar topic, not necessarily the exact same thesis, but similar. Uh, and at first I thought, oh man, that's going to be so so bad for for Gabe and Gabe's film, and that might be true, I don't know, but then also as I've been thinking about it more, I was thinking that maybe it, it might have been uh, indifferent or it might have even helped the film. Uh, talk to me about uh, about finding out about the other film and how you think its existence has helped or hurt or been indifferent towards your film.
3: Yeah, I mean, it's too early to say whether, you know, what what's sort of, Happening, um, whether it's you know how it's affecting Red Army, but it, it's definitely. I mean, it's ESPN, and they're they're it's a TV show, right? Um, and, and and they sort of, you know, it's sort of your 30 for 30 um, typical show, right? And and mine, mine, I sort of was was very sort of focused on on making this go way beyond that, making it into a real feature film event, and you know, have the kind of depth that I needed it to, and, uh, you know, so I I, I just, you know, I'd I'd finished my movie uh, a year ago, actually, before Sochi, and that's when I started showing the film to to various people, and, you know, Sony Classics got involved, like I said, around Cannes, which is, you know, in May, so my film has been done for quite a while, and people have seen it, so I, I definitely was you know um surprised when I saw the s p n film and some some similar footage and and you know plotting but uh it's a very very different film and you know um, you know I guess the fact is, is that my my film kind of came out uh, a long time ago, so I was surprised to see kind of some of the similarities because they had access to 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 my film but yet still chose to tackle some similar stuff so you know it is what it is, and, and I hope that, that both projects benefit from each other and, and it 's fascinating that, that there are um, there's such interest in this, and you know maybe maybe it'll it'll just help everything so right uh,
2: you talked about Slava Fetisov being uh, the main focus of the film, and he 's a very interesting guy, and uh, what really interested me about him the most was just how he wasn 't willing to to defect despite opportunities and he also wasn't willing as you show in the film to take deals that some of the players that made it to the NHL before him did that he really stuck to his guns and ultimately was awarded the first uh, working visa from Russia as you show in the film and um, was it did you know his story ahead of time and thus decided to focus on him or was it different in the sense that you knew you wanted to talk to him and then as you learned about his story, decided to focus around him. How did him being the central figure sort of develop?
3: Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, um, basically, yeah, I didn't I didn't really know that he, he was going to be the main character. In fact, you know, I wasn't even sure I was going to get an interview um, by him, and he, he was uh, constantly refusing to be interviewed until the last day in my shoot in Moscow. He called and said he'd meet me for 15 minutes, and that turned into a five-hour interview. But I, I really... You know, I knew he was important. He's He was the captain of the team for, for almost a decade and and uh, was the face of the Soviet Union, was sort of the leader. But, you know, I had no idea that that, that, that he was going to be the main character or sort of how what his involvement was going to be. Because as a documentarian, you got to be open to whatever you get, you got to kind of work with. And um, sometimes, you know, before, obviously a little bit more, but I've gotten a lot of players and and. He came in last and it was pretty clear when I started interviewing him because he's such a fascinating character. You can't take his eyes off him. He's very he's very unique and complex and was constantly challenging me, had me on my toes, was, you know, slightly abrasive and, and, and unpredictable which makes for a fascinating character. You Absolutely. Know? I
2: love that part of it. Not to not to cut you off, but I wanted to hit on that a little bit more because in the film I was captivated by the relationship between the documentary and him. Just the way, you know, with him reading the email and doing business and giving, giving was it you that he gave the finger to? That was you behind that, right? Yeah, and uh, just the way he interacted with the film was so perfect with the way that we perceive interactions with the Soviet Union.
3: Exactly. No, and, no, no, you hit it on the head. I mean, the relationship between him and myself is a metaphor for kind of how we see Soviet Union and people and Russian people, you know, we sort of... Initially, a lot of times, because of the meat, you know, write them off, oh, they're sort of the typical Russian guy, kind of rude and, 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 you know, arrogant and so on. But then you see kind of what uh, this guy had been through in his life and, and, and the kind of things that these guys had to suffer through, you know. And you realize that, yeah, these guys are hard, you know. They they kind of, <laughs> they deserve to be hard in a certain way, you know, Um but uh, it's, it, it was but yeah, but I, I like films that have personality. you know, if we talk about i don't want to you know sometimes with, with these TV films, you know it becomes sort of didactic and, and you know uh, kind of dry in a way. I, I really like films with a lot of personality and kind of uniqueness, very you know and I feel this film is has a quirk to it, has a little bit sort of offbeat sometimes, and, uh, you know, is strange, you know, and I like that, and I kind of, I like having things like that, and I think it helps the film distinguish itself, you know? No,
2: I totally agree. Uh, I really enjoyed the the film sort of being a character in the film, in a way. Um, and th- that's maybe taking a, maybe a little too far, I don't know, but I, I just really enjoyed uh, the the balance between the story that was trying to be told and the people telling the story and the the interferences like the uh KGB guy who you're trying to interview with his granddaughter or whatever sort of running around and talking about sunglasses and just sort of reminded me of the 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 way that the worldly uh interferences in understanding the people and the stories and I really enjoyed that and I also really, I laughed really hard. I think it was Harry Neal who, who said in the film, uh, he was sharing, someone had said something about uh, uh, if they had to have a, a heart transplant, they'd want it to be from the Russian coach because he'd never used his. And I, I, I Yeah, that was humorous. Yeah, I There's la- a
3: lot of humor in this film, and, you know, I, I, I like that in films. You know, you, you kind of have your typical... Cold War films, you know, your expected thing is to be dark and, and, and brooding and kind of evil. But, you know, when you put context, I, I like kind of throwing something at the audience that is, is more surprising and unexpected. And I think that's the same way with hockey. You know, I, I look at hockey in the same way. I don't like watching hockey that that is predictable and, and it's the same stuff over and over. There's no... You want to see players that are that are, and that's how the Soviets play. That are always, they're always doing something unexpected or, or you know uh, different. You know what I'm saying? Because that's your competitive edge, right? Is is doing things different. And so I appreciate that in film and in hockey and 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 sort of. It's just the way I think. You know.
2: I got to tell you about what excited me the most about your film as I was watching it, and that was Mulgilney being in it because I was in Buffalo. In 1989 or whatever year it was when Mogilny wasn't just this idea of a guy who might be a star on our team someday, but this idea of Jeremy had went to Sweden and brought this guy back to where I lived uh, to be a part of the team. And just like his presence in the film was so exciting to me. And, uh, you know, it was it was an unbelievable experience in Buffalo with Mogilny when he was here, whether it was him scoring a goal on his first shift against the Nordiques or him uh, being afraid to fly and rumors going around that he was afraid to fly because the KGB was threatening to to blow up planes. I mean, stories got this big about Mogilny. His personality was this big in Buffalo and 76 goals in a season. I mean, he was such a... He's such a huge figure in Buffalo sports, and I was so excited to see him be included in the film and, and be talked about, and his uh, him defecting and sort of being the, the, the other side of Fatisov's unwillingness to defect. Yeah,
3: I mean, McGilney is a... He's—he's a—he he played a role. The guy—the guy is a—he's he, unique part of history. You know, he's the first guy to really defect from from Soviet Union, and uh, he was what an amazing player that guy was. Like, you know, dynamic. Every, like I said, every time he touched the puck, just everybody gets to the edge of their seats and, you know, wonders what he's gonna do. You know, he—he he was considered you know, the best prospect out of the Soviet Union. And McGillney was interesting because he was a guy that hated Tikhanov from the beginning. and He was, like, overtly rebellious right right away. You know, he would kind of, apparently Tikhanov punched him one time. um, uh, Which, Tikhanov is his coach, to anyone who doesn't know. But, uh, yeah, he's, he's 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 a he's a unusual guy, yeah, with the whole flying, and you know, I think we're all afraid of flying a little bit, but I don't I didn't realize it was because the KGB was going to well, shoot them out of the sky. But. I don't
2: know if that's real, but that's sort of the legend that's grown in Buffalo, you know, about why yeah. that was. And uh there's even a story about how there's a famous spaghetti restaurant in downtown Buffalo called Chef's where a lot of the players will eat um will eat it before games and supposedly Mogilni wore a wire to that restaurant and the FBI arrested some Soviet spies, I guess you might call them. And supposedly that's true. Still, I don't know what's legend and what's reality. What's
3: interesting is that t was given the opportunity to defect many times, you know? Right. I think he didn't do it for a number of reasons. One is I think his family, you know, he had a lot of family there and his wife. And, I mean, that could have been dangerous, really dangerous, you know? I think McGillian didn't really have that many people there. Um and uh that's one reason the other is i think satchev wanted to maybe he felt you know because he's an older guy he kind of felt more like loyalty to the country and you know he'd served the country for so long you know if you're in the military it's like defecting is like the most outrageous sin you know it's like the biggest traitor and these guys were officers in the army you know technically so it was like you know that would be terrible plus i think he wanted to pave the way for the future generations. If he was defecting, it would be like, it's, it's almost like, he, by doing it official, you're, you're kind of officially kind of setting precedent and paving the way, you know?
2: Yeah, and and I think you hit on an interesting point, and it sort of showed in the movie. He had all those years serving and playing and, and talking about how the country was so important to him, whereas Mogilene defecting, he didn't have quite the bond he didn't quite develop in the system to the extent he didn't win olympic gold medals and things like that the way uh fatisov did for the uh for the army as you would say
3: yeah exactly
2: well gabe i'm really excited about the film uh there's an amazing part in there uh where you you try to get Kasitanov to talk a little bit about his relationship uh, what's left of it with uh, with Fatisov and he sort of tears up as a really powerful moment and uh there's a lot of just great things in here i could talk to you about it all day i was a huge 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 buray fan growing up and a huge Mulgilney fan fascinated by russian yeah, hockey yeah
3: buray, buray i got a i got like a an hour and a half interview with him that's incredible that didn't even make the film so you know there's a lot of great stuff in the movie i had to i had to uh do a
2: lot of. Uh, well, if if you I, ever want me to to fanboy and geek out, just you know, call me back sometime and talk to me about that hour and a half sitting down with Bure because. Oh man,
3: it's incredible. That guy, oh. that guy was incredible. You know, and he, his his father was an Olympic swimmer, right? Swimmer, yeah. yeah. And so he kind of he grew up with the Soviet sports system in his household and knew that his dad. You know, I didn't see his dad for eleven months out of the year. And that that was normal, you know yeah you know that, that was the sports system
2: you know my one last thing I'll tell you and I'll, and I'll close up and let you go, but you know my brother is eleven years younger than me, and he is very much sort of a mini me uh, and one of the things that uh we really one of the th- the initial things that he grabbed onto from my personality was my love for bury and one of my favorite stories about my brother is uh i had i had gotten a little sort of wasn't exactly a starting lineup, but it was similar, sort of a miniature... A cross between a starting lineup and a bobblehead. And it was of beret, and I had it, and then he sort of had it and had it in his room. And, and one Christmas, he went to school with $20 to shop at, like, the Santa's helper thing to get, like, presents for the family. And he came home, and he told my mom, Oh, man, I got presents for everyone, but I, I spent all my money, and I forgot to get anything for Steve. He's like, but... I wrapped up this beret thing that I have, but it's such a bad gift. You think he's going to like it. My mom told me about it, and um, I remember just opening it and making such a big deal out of how excited I was about the present, and like that's how big of a figure like beret was in our house and the relationship between my brother wow. and I. And um,
3: Yeah.
2: Yeah, so I and, and, yeah,
3: Yeah. He's, 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 I mean, talk... You know, beret is... I wish there were more players like Bure, you know. Uh, he, he was, like, basically one of the first Soviets that, that kind of uh, were, were able to play kind of as individuals in the in the North American system, you know. I mean, clearly you started to see a shift uh, during those Bure years uh, where the Soviet hockey players were able to distinguish themselves as individuals, right? There, they didn't have to be five guys together, right? But they were... They could, which is a plus and a minus because you know you see guys like Ovechkin and Malkin—they're all good individuals, but somehow they don't play great like collectively necessarily. You know, it's not—it's just Berre. He touched the puck, and like everyone gets on the edge of their seats, see what he's going to do. But it's not like they make amazing plays necessarily together with like the five guys on the ice. You know, so right with Berre and McGillney, there was a shift to the individual. You
2: know? Right, they were almost sort of hybrids in a sense where yeah. they're sort of the last known Russian unit, like the last legendary yeah, you know, the last Fedorov, right, Bure and they Mogilny. They were
3: separated so early that they never really developed those collective skills. You know, I, I, in my opinion, so they're right. amazing individuals, but you never, you don't see that Soviet style of we, weaving and you know really a collective
2: play. Yeah, and the film does a great job in explaining how some of the Russian players that came over originally had trouble adjusting to not playing that way, Slava included. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, uh, geez, you know, I, I, I really I, I have to honor what we agreed to and let you go now, but I could talk about this forever. I hope that I really do hope, Gabe, and, and we're going to do our best here to promote this and, and to be a part of, of making this as big of a success as it can be. And I, I'm wishing you the best for the film. I want you to take a minute before you go just to to set up everything you think that our listeners need to know about seeing it yeah. and following you and all that, and, and we'll do also more on our end as well.
3: Well, listen, Steve, I haven't done this before, but I, I guarantee that if your listeners go to this movie, to this theater, that they will love this film. I, I guarantee it. If they don't like it, if, they, if they're not satisfied, then they then we'll find a way to get their money back. Okay. Okay?
2: Absolutely, sure. But so, I'll kill them if they try to get their money back. That's so.
3: basically all I can do. That's the most I could do. Okay.
2: That's fair. Uh,
3: Sony so Classics... The theater. Yep. It's a very unusual for a documentary to get a theatrical release to begin with, so...
2: Yep, and it's sonyclassics.com slash Red Army is a website you can go to uh, to find a listing of where the theaters are in your cities. There's a couple in Rochester, one in Buffalo if you're close to us, uh, but they're nationally as well. Some are playing already. Some are coming up in February and March. I know, Gabe, you're going to Lake Placid for yeah. it the 35th anniversary of the film, and you're going to be all over. We mentioned Adam Carolla. Are you, you're on the Twitter, right? Do you want to throw your Twitter out?
3: Uh, yeah, G Polsk is my Twitter. Um, which I've started to use a little bit more. And, uh, yeah, I mean, we just showed it in Minnesota last week, and there was lines down the block. So hopefully we could do that in, in – uh, well, you're in Buffalo. Yeah, so.
2: Buffalo, yeah. That would be sick. I hope we can.
3: <laughs> I'll do my best, uh, Gabe. Thank you so much right, for Steve, the time. thanks a lot. Good luck with your – everything.
2: All right, talk to you soon, bud. Take care, man. All right, I want to thank Anthony Cumia and Gabe Polsky for being on the podcast today. Can you believe Anthony Cumia was on our podcast?
0: No, that's awesome. I mean, we've had probably guys that are slightly larger than that, but as far as not like, in radio, no, definitely not in radio. But as far as like personally interested in, that's going to be tough to top. So I'm, you I'm can pumped about it.
2: find this podcast and all of our podcasts on our website www.sports-casters.com. You can find us on Twitter at sports underscore casters. You can find Don at Don Lake sports You can email us to sportscasters at com, And uh, that's good enough for plugs.
0: Alright, one last thing for me this week. Uh, the Bills after Kyle Orton uh, to my delight decided to walk away from football uh, sound like They are looking heavily and have gotten into contract negotiations with Josh McCowan, and I could not be less impressed. Um, You were right, and I was wrong last year when Kyle Orton came in for EJ Manuel after EJ had a a bad game, essentially. He didn't have a great season up to that point, but uh, I got excited, I think, right away because... Orton did what EJ couldn't, and that was make Watkins relevant in his first start. I think he had like seven or ten. Watkins had a really, really nice game, the best game of his career at that point. Uh, then, as the year went on, it seemed ridiculous that they kept trotting Orton out there. Uh, just a real average quarterback uh, wasn't. They weren't making the playoffs at that point with him, so it, why not? It see was what you all had about EJ?
2: ego. The coach and the organization didn't want EJ to come out and play well and be faced with the dilemma of why didn't you just stick with him all along? We could have been in the playoffs. They couldn't take that risk. Okay, that's right. my opinion.
0: No, I I agree totally. Especially considering when they were mathematically eliminated, which I think it actually took to like week sixteen or no, something. Uh,
2: New England was the only game they lost to Oakland in week, week sixteen. Okay, right. And then they had the New England game.
0: And that was ridiculous that they didn't let EJ play in that game. Uh, I know Mike Shope, who I consider a really smart guy, local radio guy here, said he didn't care. Uh, He doesn't think it's as ridiculous as some fans do. I disagree with him there. Uh, EJ needed a shot. Now you're going to go into another season with EJ. And if you already don't think he's good enough, that's fine. But Josh McCowan isn't either. So if you're going to either go with a veteran who isn't good enough or a young guy with some upside that you don't think is good enough, go with the young guy. And now they they haven't said that they're going to sign Josh McCowan and bring him in and just give him the job. And maybe he'd be a great clipboard holder. But why? I mean, it sounds like they're going to give this guy millions of dollars to, to hopefully be a backup to E.J. Manuel. Have you
2: ever looked at his career – Numbers. I
0: looked at some advanced stats that put him kind of right in the middle of everything. He just looks like Kyle Orton again. His
2: completion percentage. And I don't know if that's... I would think that that would be important to people who are geeking on stats. It's well under 60%. Yeah,
0: and that's something I think that... uh, can probably – I'm not sure how much advanced stat guys like that because it can be a little bit game plan oriented. Like some guys might look really good because they dump everything off to a running back. The number I saw was his inter- – Okay, so
2: that I could see dismissing a high one. Sure. Well, yeah, if but you're low, there's how no How do you excuse. dismiss the idea that the ball hits the ground Right. But uh, 50% of the time?
0: I did see like his number of interceptions per – or how many passes he throws before he throws a pick, and it's something like 13, which is really, really low. Aaron Rodgers is something like 35, but, I mean, he's he's ridiculous. Right. And that stat takes into account, like, interceptions that weren't the quarterback's fault. Like, someone must watch every interception and say, oh, that hit the running back in the hands, and then he picked it off. So, in short... Uh, I know they're in a tough spot because they're really good. They're a team built to win right now at every position essentially except one. And it just happens to be the most important position, the hardest one to find. I
2: still think they're short on skilled players, especially if uh, they're starting over at running back.
0: Running, I guess I would agree with you at running back. I don't agree at wide receiver. They have
2: one. Who? who, who Robert else? Woods is
0: a really good wide receiver. Okay. Uh yeah, I think Robert Woods is really good. Did he ever had more
2: way. than seven hundred yards receiving in a season?
0: No, I I don't know. I'd have to look that up. I guess my guess would be he's been close. But I, again, I think that's coaches mismanaging him. Uh, they had they also had uh, Williams there. Who they they did. have no tight ends. No, the tight ends are abysmal. Uh, so I mean,
2: I, I think the offense is a ways to go uh, before. Uh, the nice thing for them is the defense is so good you don't need quite as much out of the offense right, yeah. but but I mean they
0: I don't think there's teams that really excel on both sides of the like they're not a perfect team I just think they are a team built to win right now. I I mean who is Seattle that much better than them if you take Russell Wilson out, out.
2: I mean for a team to be that's built to win right now they haven't been in the playoffs in 15 years so they better I mean, if the level of winning, I guess that they're built to a, to a, to achieve, the bar is very very low. So, just you know, do anything to just make the playoffs.
0: No, absolutely, I I totally agree. I just don't think this helps that. They're in a really tough spot because they're good everywhere except the hardest. I shouldn't say everywhere, but they're they're good enough, I would say, at almost every position except the one position that football is the most individual sport for the sport that has the most people on the field is the most individual sport of probably any. And that if you have a good quarterback, you're going to be really good. And if you don't, you're not, I mean, look at the Patriots, look at green Bay. Like those are not world beating offenses, but they have phenomenal quarterbacks. So, uh, I shouldn't say that about green Bay. Their, their wide receiver core is really, really good. Maybe the best in the league, but, uh, I'm not interested at all in Josh McCown, I guess, is my, the long and short of it. I don't know what their solution is. Um, I've heard some discussion about who's the kid in Tennessee. Uh, Mettenberger? No, maybe I'm not thinking Tennessee. Locker? Locker. Uh, his numbers look nice, but his injuries kind of... Constant. Yeah, constant. The same with Sam Bradford. I'd be really pumped if they got Sam Bradford.
2: Well, and, I think the difference between Bradford and, and Locker is just a. Three levels of talent.
0: Yeah, maybe you know what I mean. They they both had
2: similar injuries, but Bradford has a much higher ceiling than Locker does. Sure, Locker's a nice player. Bradford has a superstar ceiling if he could ever.
0: Yeah, and I think his numbers show that too. I think he's been really effective. His record against the division is really good for a division that's brutal. Yeah, his interception. So I'd be super excited. I would do whatever they could beyond maybe trading Watkins to get. I like Kiko Alonso a lot, but if you could trade him against Sam Bradford, I'd probably do it.
2: Yeah, I mean, they didn't have him last year. Defense was was pretty pretty good. good. Right. All right, one last thing. We talk a lot about how much I love Pearl Jam on the show and Don as well. Uh, But I don't know if we've talked that much about how much I love a band called Helmet. Uh, They are a uh, New York metal, kind of clean cut, short hair metal. You know, guys with short hair and. jeans and a t-shirt, metal. <laughs> you know, they're not thrash by any means, but uh, they're led by a guy named Paige Hamilton, who's a guitar, or virtuoso, guitar genius. And uh, back in 2004, uh, they had just sort of reformed after splitting apart for a bit in the 90s. And uh, they had a pretty ambitious tour, which included a date in Rochester and Buffalo. So I enthusiastically... Uh, made it out to a Ticketmaster outlet, which I believe at the time was the Kaufman's, Kaufman's yeah. in the Gallery Mall. Which, uh, if you needed to get to the tickets, you needed to get to the bras, because Ticketmaster was, <laughs> it was in like an office, a changing room, or something behind yeah. the bras. Right. Uh, so I made my way there and I purchased my ticket to Rochester and Buffalo. And shortly after, Paige Hamilton was in a biking accident ah. in Central Park and broke his collarbone. And they canceled the tour and the shows, which is fine. Uh, if you're a guitar virtuoso, and you have a broken collarbone, you can't play guitar, you, there's no reason to do shows. Right. I would not have wanted to see Helmet with Paige Hamilton
0: in a sling. Right, some studio guitar. In no a good. Sling, right.
2: What's bad is it's 2015 <laughs> and they still have not been to Buffalo. What, I mean, postponed – to me the word postponed turns to cancelled when you get into the 11-12 year mark and it's frustrating now because just the other day Helmet opened the 2015 Betty Tour which is the anniversary of one of their biggest albums, Betty and they are they have a kick-ass tour, they are playing uh, all of Betty and then taking a break And the set lists I've seen are, like, 31 songs long. Okay. The second set is, like, 17 more songs.
0: So the question is, when are they coming to Buffalo? They're not. Oh, good. Toronto? Rochester?
2: They are coming to Cleveland. Okay. On Saturday, March 14th. Okay. So I won't be there. I'll be in Yale. And then they will be in Toronto on Wednesday... May eighteenth, March 18th, and Pittsburgh on the 19th. I don't know if I'll get to a show. I'd love to get to a show. It uh, might not be the right time of year. Uh, hopefully, if all goes well, I have uh, a trip to Yale on the 13th, a trip to Lake Placid on the 20th, then a trip to somewhere for the NCAAs a week after that. And then a trip to Boston. Two weeks after that for the Frozen Four. You know, hopefully, I have to do all those things, which would mean I probably don't have time or money for helmets in Pittsburgh, or Cleveland, or Toronto. But I would make time for Buffalo or Rochester <laughs> right. if you rescheduled one of the two shows you canceled eleven years ago. Now,
0: do you do you see that? flack like on twitter or anything like that are there buffalo helmet supporters out there that are like hey man in the
2: thousands to maybe ten thousands of people yesterday it was trending in buffalo (laughs) bring helmet back was trending in, in buffalo wow you know and then i would load it and i couldn't even get to the bottom just kept going right all the tweets you know i mean uh the echo across town is is so loud of people who demand to have this show rescheduled. Uh, But with that said, if you are in, oh, I don't know, uh, Durham, North Carolina, Mobile, Alabama, Shreveport, Louisiana, uh, Madison, Wisconsin, uh, Ferndale, Michigan,
0: Hmm.
2: you know, one of those hot spots, (laughs) uh, get out and check out Helmet as they uh, play Betty from front to back.